what had happened was we had a meaningful, engaging conversation that helped me question and be more reflective on myself and where we are and where we are going. Thanks for finding the What Happened Was podcast. I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. The voice you just heard belongs to Dayton sociologist and social healer Amaha Selassie of Sinclair Community College. Amaha is one of the forces behind Gym City Market, the Hashtag West Dayton Strong campaign, and a STEM program at DeSoto Bass for youth. He is also one of our community's leading advocates for unity, harmony, and social justice. Yep, he's an all-around cool guy. I spoke to Amaha a few months ago, Long before the coronavirus emergency began to threaten society's very existence. Because you know how things go. They kept coming and coming and coming. So this podcast episode got pushed back and back and back. But I'm one to believe that things happen for a reason. In this case, I think the reason that the episode was pushed back is that Amaha brings a message of hope. And hope is exactly what we need right now. In this episode, we talk about Dayton's strength. And we'll surely need this strength to get through this crisis. The What Had Happened Was podcast is a project of Dayton.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you find your favorite shows. Now here's my chat with Amaha, who was taking a break from it all when we talked. But yeah, he's back in the game. What you been up to? Studying for my PhD and kind of pulling back a little bit, actually. Doing some self-care, trying to understand where I am and where I'm going to do next. Why do you decide to pull back? Because I've been doing a lot, like with the, the grocery store, and mm-hmm. I have a program in sort of Bass, West State and Strong, and just that plus teaching and the PhD, which is like, you know, I need to spend some time working on my self-care because I'm out a lot. What does that self-care mean to you? Because people say self-care, and I'm like, what is that? Because I don't know either. Man, you know, know, like, I'm learning, for sure. Like, it's a work in progress. So, like, this weekend, I said no to things, right? And I I was like, no. Right, right. It was new. Uh, And also, you did some reading. You just relaxed. Watched a lot of Netflix. There you Uh, go. Yeah, I think self-care is kind of doing whatever is meaningful for you. I'm always reminding myself that it's not even a marathon. It's an ultra marathon. If I want to do this work when I'm, like, 70, 80 years old and really be able to leverage resources in the community then i gotta be here i need to practice self-care you can't burn <laughs> yourself all the time exactly what are yeah. they trying to get you to do that you said no it was speak at an event and then go to a meeting but so, it's yeah. just the fact that you do so much of that and you're on a go all the time you get burned out and sometimes what i'm not good at is understanding the time management of okay so you're staying this hour but it's really like a half hour before maybe 45 minutes after that time so then you know half your day is spent on this like one hour event and then you don't get a chance to do anything else which is fine you know sometimes you got to pull back and also i think it's creating spaces for next generations to come up and fill some of the roles too right so it's, it's all these things combined i think yeah, yeah. it's just kind of hard to say no sometimes and i like being on the community i get energy out there but then you know over time it just wears my body down sometimes i'm always out there so you are always out there so you talked about the market what Mm -hmm. is the market for people who don't know about it yeah so sure we have the gym city market it's going to be a full service co-op grocery store in west dayton off of 300 block of some avenue so it's community owned and operated grocery store right access to fresh fruits and vegetables we're also going to have a teaching kitchen that people can come and learn how to pair different foods we're going to have a health clinic we're going to have a dietitian and also a a community room that i likened it to tears where when norm walks into the room everybody yells norms where's that space on the west side in particular where we can like build community and organize decide like what is the community we want to work live and play in and how we're going to leverage our resources to make it happen a lot of people don't realize this but it's a food desert over there yeah yeah and i don't even use 
through desert anymore okay. because when we say desert, it implies a natural phenomenon. Like I, I told my students that I would never invite you out to the Mojave Desert with some buckets of water and say, hey, we're going to make this desert an oasis or something like that. Yeah. You know? I like to use the word food apartheid because oh. I like to acknowledge that there's structural mechanisms that created the food desert. Yeah, okay. right? It wasn't a natural phenomenon. It was the result of policy, in particular redlining. 38% of African Americans across the country live in food deserts because of they were in redlined communities, right? It's looking at the policies and structures, which I think gives hope because once we can see that it was a man-made crisis, right, right, then we can unmake it. We can reimagine our community, and that gives us hope that knowing we have the power to make that change. I changed the language to change how we see and deal with the issue. So you don't really buy this whole argument that it's economics, and it's just this is what happens when you live in a, a society that's a... Capitalism? Capitalism. Right, right. We live in a capitalist society. It's probably a both end, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the redlining maps, redlining, the maps in particular decided what areas to invest and what not to invest in, right? You end up with areas of concentrated advantage and concentrated disadvantage, and so when we're looking at Dayton in particular, because of being hypersegregated because of the river, 98% of African Americans live on the west side, and that area has disinvestment. So redlining technically ended in 1964, even though it, you know the effects yeah. still happen. What has translated to redlining maps in areas that were redlined are now areas of low opportunity. Opportunity meeting conditions favorable for the attainment of a goal. So when you look at the underlying infrastructure, the ecology of the neighborhoods, they're at a disadvantage, right, as far as access to food, access to jobs, access to housing. The same houses that would go for a million dollars in our places are like 30, 40, 50,000 because of their location in like Dayton View or something like that, right? All these things together have a cumulative effect of creating concentrated advantage and concentrated disadvantage. So from that standpoint, I clearly see it as a policy issue and a lack of reinvestment on the West Side. But sure, there's an economic mechanism to it too. And I think the challenge now is gentrification. So how do we reinvest on the West Side, but still keep the culture and the ownership within the residents of the West Side instead of extracting resources from the community, how we build capacity and acknowledge and, you know, build up the community and, and the leadership. Well, there's some lot of properties over there that I'd be like, well, what is wrong with people? These yeah. are great houses. Yeah, for like, sure, for sure. Like, I don't understand why people don't want to live in these. Right. I know the neighborhoods have issues or whatever, but the housing stock is, like, great over there. Housing stock is amazing. And, and really, I'm not going to say there's no issues, but, like, I think it's less than what people make oh, it yeah, out to be. everything. Kind of flip, switching gears a little bit. West Dayton Strong started as a hashtag because we were looking at how if you Google West Side Dayton, you hear all these horror stories mm-hmm. and another. It was like, no, like West Side, West Side has assets. So West Dayton Strong meant that like if you see something strong in your community, a leader, opportunity, just hashtag it, right? Look at like, yeah, we have assets. It's not just all, just like, oh, gloom and doom on the West Side. We have amazing emerging leaders. We have great things happening on the West Side, you know? We need to tell our own story. Because if we're not controlling our own narrative, somebody else is. Just right. uh, even like the definition of blackness has been a white imagination, right? Like historically, that people imagined that some people were human, some people were not human, and then put all these things on that, right? And so now we have to reimagine for ourselves that, yeah, we're all human. There's no such thing as race. It's a social construct, right? Right. So how are we going to come and create this human story? So I think part of that is reimagining how we tell our narratives on, on the West Side to practice our own self-determination. How did you get in this sort of work? Uh, did you wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to be a social activist. I'm gonna- <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. You know, the crazy thing is it really started out of this a love for people. I really started by going into community talking about love and talking about healing wounds and forgiveness. 
And then one day I was reading a book, uh, Martin Luther King's first book, A Stride Toward Freedom. And he said, agape love is community. And I was like, hmm, what does that mean? He was like, I had to ponder that for a minute because I was talking about agape love. So like that was something I was talking about, but I never connected it to community. Have so, you heard the term before? Agape love, yes, mm-hmm. but, not, but not in association with community. Okay. So then I started pondering it. I'm like, okay, so if he's saying that Christ is many members in one body, then that's community. So then I started saying that, okay, so all this work I've been doing, talking about agape love, has actually been to build community. So then I was like, hmm, that's deep. So then any book, community, anything. I was hungry. I would read it. You know what I mean? I would go to trainings. And that's how it all started. You know what I mean? How old were you? 27? 27? Yeah. Around there? Yeah, maybe a little bit older. Were yeah. you always like the kid who was always like the good kid who always wanted uh, the righteous thing? And What were you like <laughs> in high school or junior no, high? Uh, in between. I definitely got into mischief. Like, I've always, get, I've I always had. You're doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's a major, right? Uh, but my goal has always been to get back to the community. So like, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to build a community center. You know what yeah. I mean? I always, I always had this thing of like how to give back to the community. I just believe in the power of people. I believe in the inherent goodness in people too. You know what I mean? So oftentimes when things go wrong, it's like what has happened in their life that has led them in this way. So like right now, a lot of stuff that I'm working on is looking at trauma, right? And how trauma impacts youth development. It impacts their, their brain development. It impacts their opportunities, their access. And it literally deteriorates our life. So if right. we experience a high level of trauma when we're young, that's who gets the heart attacks when they're 40 and 50 or like the higher rates of suicide, higher rates of depression. But all this can be linked to trauma. There's this test called the ACEs test, right? That it's one through 10. So like right now, We've been having these community conversations about, like, we need to have more people take this ACEs test, right, so we can know what we're dealing with as a community, and people can know individually where they're at, and then, like, how these things can be mitigated, but especially for youth, how we mitigate the, the stress that they're impacted. And it's so much more of that since the tornadoes and the... Yeah, and the yeah, it's compounded stress, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Because it's not just one event, right? It's, like, all these events. I mean, like, and as the community... Already here. Yeah, exactly. I mean... If we want to say that our community had absolutely no stress before all these events happened between the KKK, the tornado, and the shooting, we are in a state of crisis right now. I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago. They brought up a good point. The tornado happened so soon after the KKK event that we never, as a community, processed and unpacked the KKK event, right? No, we, were we, happy we went that straight into it. Yeah, we were you happy the city didn't burn, and we were still having yeah. those kind of conversations like, oh, let's keep this state and strong thing going. Yeah. It's like, let's have a real conversation about race and about right. homophobia and all these mm, different things, right? Yep, we we're talking yep. about that. And then, next thing you know, yeah. all hell Two days broke. later, yeah. 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 And if there's a silver lining or a bright side to all that i think it was the networks that were being built during the kkk because people across the community were like oh no not my community right. you know what i mean and so people came together across all differences right it's to create a united front against this notion of hate the notion of one group being superior to another group et cetera, et cetera. so then when the tornado happened in the first couple of days it was really the community and the people on the ground that were doing it. you know people were pitching up tents people were like barbecuing and making sure everybody had food and i think it was the networks that were developed and these relationships that formed through the KKK process that then translated yeah. into the action those first couple of days, especially. That's yeah. probably true because people were really proud of the fact that the city responded the way they did. Mm-hmm. They didn't mm-hmm. like the fact that so much money was spent necessarily, but they right, were right. excited that um, people didn't like that and were trying to shut it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we created a shared narrative. I think it really developed a shared identity for us, too. We started seeing 
Today in class, I'll talk about how you expand the we. Who is the we and who is not the we, right? right. You know what I mean? Like how we expand the we out to include all human beings, regardless of gender, race, class, age, and sexual orientation, right? I think this process, like, expanded the we. People that normally didn't work together were in rooms together right. and hopefully having coffee afterwards or something, you know what I mean? So it expanded this concept of, like, how we identify ourselves. Where does this whole passion for people come from? Were your parents like this? Uh, Maybe a little bit. I wouldn't say to the degree that I am. Where They're definitely nonviolent, no guns. I wasn't even allowed to have toy guns. Uh, yeah, cool. yeah. So what did they do? My dad, he was a manager, and my mom stayed at home and just took care of me. Well, it's a job, you know. Oh yeah, no, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it was a great job. Not just because it was me, but yeah. no, but <laughs> <laughs> I just like, but yeah, no, you like, know, it was yeah, me. yeah. <laughs> Were you the only one? I have a brother and sister too, but we didn't all live together. What was the no gun thing about? Because a lot of parents, here's the gun. Little boys get guns when they're right, right. Get dolls, little boys get guns. And yeah, I, I mean, they're just anti anti-gun anti-violence i'm sure on some level they didn't want me to get hurt right but i think the main thing was just not playing with things that they didn't see as a, a great contributor to society you know i don't know where my passion i just believe in the power of people and when i see all the crazy things happening in the world i, I just like the underlying humanity and like the dignity just keeps standing out when i got into the work i wouldn't say like my understanding or my knowledge of it as it is now and i'm still always evolving and growing i, I like to sit at the feet of my elders etc now i just like how do we reimagine how we structure society that the structures themselves proclaim dignity and worth right so like structures are like how we make systems are ideology plus resources so we have an idea and then we organize resources around the idea we're looking at the redlining maps that was the idea that like white was supreme and that white definition wasn't even all will be considered white today because the Irish, Irish community was, was not, you know, Italian, Polish. Yeah. So that was an idea that you make resources around to build these structures where redlining was a result. How do we make sure some communities don't have money and resources other communities do? And so now it's like, how do we reimagine this equity, right? you know, building an ecosystem of equity? How do we acknowledge the dignity and worth of every human being? And not just in our personal interactions, that too, but like how does the system proclaim it? That's what I'm exploring now, how to build different ways for us to come together that yeah. builds us out. How do you get people who are not directly affected by an issue to care about an issue? Taking a break to remind you that you're listening to the What Has Happened Was podcast, and I'm Amelia Robinson. This podcast is a service of Dayton.com, brought to you by the Dayton Daily News. As our community and nation respond to the coronavirus threat, the Dayton Daily News is here, providing up-to-the-minute local coverage on our website and app and going in-depth so you know what's really going on. Our news team is working around the clock to provide information you can trust to keep your family safe and connected. As a community, we may be hunkered down in our homes, but we are still Dayton strong. We have survived so much together and will get through this crisis too. The Dayton Daily News, your trusted source for local news. Now back to my chat with Amaha. People who have a grocery store next to them and they have right, right, stores right. next to them, they got a nice house, they got nice cars. How do you get them to say, hey, I need to care about these other people? Looking at it from the worldview of Ubuntu with an African philosophy that says, I exist because you exist and you exist because I exist and I'll never be all that I can be until you are all that you can be and you will never be all that you can be until I am all that I can be. I think it's really showing that like we're truly interdependent we got to go to the root assumption of like how we base all of our thoughts 
And if we're operating off of this notion of individuality, then yeah, might not be a reason why someone would want to. But if we realize that we're all interconnected, King talks about the single garment of destiny. What affects one is going to affect us all. The Brazilian forest on fire, I could be sitting here in daylight like, well, shoot, it sucks to be them, but that ain't me. Right. You know what I mean? But no, that's going to directly affect us over here. Our creating a world where independent instead of interdependent is a man-made phenomenon. Because even the trees breathe off what we need. and we, You know what I mean? Like everything is all interconnected together. I think that's the foundation to say that like you might not be living there, but like this will impact you. It all impacts together because right now we have that growing inequality. For industrialized nations, we have the greatest level of inequality on the planet <laughs> right, right now. That's not sustainable. You know what I mean? Well, that's so, the thing about it. I just don't get it. Even for purely selfish reasons. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, Your own personal interest. Yeah, I don't yeah. want you to you grow up, come over my house and rob me. Right. Like you would think, okay, I'm going to send you to school. I'm going to mm. take, take care of your health care because I don't want you to be 45 years old and stuck in on the system or whatever. Even if you break it down for purely selfish reasons, you yeah. would think people would care more. Yeah, yeah. Even own self-preservation, yeah. you know, you, you have to help others. We realize our humanity by acknowledging the humanity of others. It's like that shared process. I think everybody has a vested interest in looking out for the least of them. That, that's why, like, I seek to center the voice of the most marginalized communities into the center of public policy. What are they actually experiencing? What is the knowledge that they've gained from that experience that can be shared to reimagine the cities that we want to work, live, and play in? Because the other thing, too, is we'll never get to a kumbaya place if we deny people. We have to create things that acknowledge everybody's humanity, everybody's dignity and worth, and then center around that. I know sometimes people say that, like, well, for one to benefit, another one has to lose. But that's a binary structure that also shows a lot of construction. Like, I don't believe that. How do you keep yourself from getting discouraged? Because there's a lot of reasons to be like, damn, mm. you're doing all this stuff, you're out here working, but always another shoe that's going to drop. Yeah, I at times I do get discouraged but ultimately i believe in the rightness of the cause right i, I believe the way the universe is structured that is moving towards this and I, I keep pressing you know what i mean because i feel we're close right now even like all the craziness right now is really like a symptom of a transition taking place you know oh, like, really? you and, and I, I yeah i consider it like the transgression to transform right so we gotta like move into a new space hold that space long enough that that space can then birth something new. You see people come together across differences like never before. You see people just being connected. Now I have friends all over the globe that I wouldn't have had before because of you know, lack of internet or whatever. You know, Things are truly happening. The old ideologies are like having a last stand right now because they realize that this way of thinking is played out. It's done. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think ultimately people are coming together and realizing our common humanity for realizing that gender is a social construct, that race is a social construct, sexual orientation and class, right? All these things are made up. And they only stay in existence as long as we use them. Because we have to do gender, you know? We have to do race. The more we understand how these things work, the more we can reimagine and do things a different way. We can relate to people a different way. That gives me hope. But, I mean, there's definitely times where I can be discouraged momentarily. I remember one time I was complaining to one of my elders, and they said something that always sticks with me. They said, well, how bright is your light shining? I had to really ponder that. Why complain about what other people are or are not doing instead of focusing on what I can do? Like being the invitation. I want to invite people into spaces that acknowledge dignity and acknowledge humanity. I don't want to be the thermometer. I want to be the thermostat, right? Okay. I, I want to help control the vibes in, in the community by focusing on, on what I can do and how I can contribute instead of just waiting for other people and giving my power and hoping, begging, and pleading for some 
somebody to do something that's not on that. So how are the kids doing? You deal with a lot more kids than I do. Mm-hmm. I don't really have kids in my life mm-hmm. at all. There's no people who have right, kids. Right, 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 right. What are they thinking? Like, Jen, I know you, everybody's different, but how are they? Um... As far as what? How are they doing? Do you think they're discouraged or do you think they're like positive or I don't know what to say. I'm just wondering. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think they're like under assault like never before. They haven't been equipped with some of the tools to how to navigate and negotiate the situations that they're finding themselves in. But I'm also encouraged. It seems like this line was drawn. Like when you look at the shooting that happened in Florida and how like they're like, you know what, we're not going to wait for y'all to like do your two week speeches right. and go back to business as normal i think they're feeling like their sense of power they're mm-hmm. like yo we can stand this gap like we can make a difference right like our voice can be heard so from that level i see them as being hope and encouragement the job of those that are of older generations is to pass power down we can't have the rings of power right. in, like the elder generations there are elders i sit at their feet i love to learn from my elders we need power and ability to move resources in the hands of people that are that are on the ground that like know what's happening and we use the elders for advice i think the more we push power down into the hands that are most able to utilize it that's what makes the change quicker or more sustainable coming up as leaders in the community the ones you see are emerging uh i I, I, I would i would would hesitate to name because then like 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 no i mean some names come to mind but then i'm also like well who didn't I name right. if, I, if I go down that path? But Dave's definitely an, an emerging leader. I mean, it was a lot of leader. I rather not. I rather not, not say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I rather not say because I'm, I know I'm going to miss like, Why do you say me? Yeah, yeah. And not others. And I think the other thing, too, when we're looking at that, to a certain extent, that question is the old model. Okay. Because it's this thing of, like, having a pyramid and, like, having a couple leaders that are, like, actually leading the community. Ella Baker, she says strong people don't need strong leaders. So right now, like, we're building capacity in okay. the community. We have a leaderful organization, right? Like, we have leaderful communities, right, where multiple people can pop up. More decentralized leadership is where we're moving to because, in that way, power is spread to more people. It's not just that one Not just one person, yeah. you know what I mean? Because if they get sick, if they die, if they mm-hmm. move, then the whole thing crumbles. How to really build capacity. So, like, right now, I'm looking at ecosystems. Like, what is the network within art and within community organizing? I mean, like, there's so many things taking place. And what I'm excited about is that they're not in silos anymore. Like, they're they're intersecting. You see arts and community organizing more and vice versa. I think that's where you really bring these new dynamic spaces and ways of thinking and ways of doing things that, like, hasn't been around here before. We're really on the verge of something that is truly emerging new. Yeah, it feels that way a lot of times. It really does. The strength of community kind of showed Mm. during these tragedies kind of illustrated. That you know, yeah, that we, sure. like you said before, people stepped up, and not just the people you expect, it's right? Different, different areas, yeah, of people, yeah. Which is like you kind of go, well, why didn't the government do it? Well, the mm. government don't have to do it when you have okay. people, yeah, who are doing it, and people are the government anyway. When you should be, yeah, <laughs> 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 exactly. One thing too, I thought was really cool is the, the whole Gym City Market thing mm-hmm. too, the way it came together. Mm. Where because you do have like buying. Not just big organizations, but actually people, which is why I think it's like a really amazing thing. Yeah, I'm thankful to be part of the process. And to me, it's it's a good example of collective hope, how a community identified something it wanted to change, and we leverage our resources to make it happen. So that hope comes in knowing that we have We've been highly participatory, you know, and it's a slower process. I remember remember we had this huge room to make our mission statement. We We had probably about 100, 150 people making our mission statement collectively. The name of the market even, like everything has been this process of, 
of participation. You know, the architectural design, the architect met with all kinds of different community groups that from the abilities community was showing us, oh, you know, maybe have you thought about these things, making the aisles a little wider? So we've been taking all this input in to make something that's accessible and meaningful for, for everybody. It's good ownership, too. So at our groundbreaking, the thing that struck me the most is that, like, everybody knew that, yeah, we did this together. And to me, it's like, okay, it's the biggest project I've ever worked on personally, but when it comes to um, the realms of like community transformation, it's, it's like a drop in a bucket, right? right? And so it's like, what can we do next? How can we leverage this information that we have, these relationships we built, right? Because East and West, everybody has worked together on this project. And so it's like, what can we do next for our community? Keep the momentum going. I don't want to do this to market, but okay, we did it. Let's go sit back down. You're like, no, yeah. it's, it's the beginning, right? It's the foundation. What do you right? see happen next as far as that goes? One thing I'm actually interested in seeing is there's this process called a ripple effect mapping where like we can see what kind of things have emerged from the market i'm kind of like moving to that room one thing that we're working on collectively would be a community land trust right so that we can determine what kind of development happens on the west side we have 2,300 members let's build a platform that we can start determining what happens in our community i think the main thing is that we can't move off the imagination of what people say our community should be, the community needs to determine for itself what it wants to be, what mm-hmm. it wants to become, like what is needed in the community, and then how we leverage our resources, our assets, gifts, times, and talents towards making that happen. And these are conversations that I'm seeing in multiple spaces, how to really create this like solidarity table or something like that where we're really coming together as a community and really determining where we want to go next. Everybody's talking about Dayton Strong. What does that mm-hmm. mean for you? And what do you think sets Dayton apart from everybody else who has had to be strong for whatever reason? You mm-hmm. get Boston Strong, you got every Right, you know, right. Dayton Orlando Strong is hmm, our resilience. Our ability, so even like going back to the market, at that time, we were second in the nation when it comes to food insecurity for for kids. And once that information got out into the public sphere, people acted across all boundaries, right? We respond well to information and to like crises, how to really show up as a community and be support for one another. And I think that's leading us to be more proactive now. So not just waiting for something to happen, but we're proactively like looking at like, how we build latent capacity that can be utilized for whatever. That's why I think the network is so important because once you build the trust and a strong connectivity in the community, the, the relationship can shift and adapt to whatever is needed. But if you don't have that strong level, then the structures are more like static because like we don't have the trust to, to really coordinate and collaborate on a deep level. And I think right now part of Dayton Strong is that we're building a real strong, resilient community that's broad spectrum. People from all different types of communities are coming together. And I think we're also healing historical wounds. Because, you know, mm-hmm. we, we got some trauma in this community that we got to actually talk about, you know. Yeah. I think there's people willing to enter into this conversation, to talk about the past. If we don't talk about it, then not only are we apt to repeat it, that we're going to push down these wounds to the next generation, like that, that intergenerational trauma. If we don't have the tough conversations my daughter and her generation are going to have to have a tough conversation what are we going to do to really build this shared future from a divided past and i see us as dayton moving in that direction a lot of people don't even acknowledge there are problems mm. like uh there was a conversation i was told about i wasn't part of the conversation where people right. were like schools what's the problem mm. <laughs> if, if one school district can do it why can't dayton you know <laughs> right right we're right, not thinking about right. those other things that yeah you know go yeah it. yeah like in that one i mean like one clear one is when you fund schools on property taxes which have been deemed illegal multiple times by the Ohio supreme court but nothing changes that structuralizes inequality because you have areas that have lower housing values so you're always going to have less funding and part of that funding also goes for support services for the students if you have a community that has less 
address poverty, then that money can go directly into schools. Part of the money in Dayton is also going to providing free lunch and all these other support services. It's like a double-edged sword. What always amazes me, too, is the resources they don't have and, and the stresses that cause, like, not only the students but the whole system, yeah. like the teachers and everybody else. I think part of what gives me hope is that I think we really are close to a new way of realizing our common humanity. And I like to call it the above-ground railroad, how the underground railroad freed us on some levels physically, but to me, is how do we really come into this full level of equality and acknowledging the dignity and worth and, and really grace, this next level of love? I see, like, conductors, people that are leading this way towards, like, how we enter into these spaces more, occupy them, and make these the norm. How do we really reimagine what we can be together, knowing that, like, it takes everybody. You're thinking that Dayton's future is bright, like a gym or something? I do see it as bright. Probably going to be rough spots along the way. I think it's going to take some courage to continue to come together and have difficult conversations but I definitely feel that like Dayton's on the rise that Dayton is strong that we're resilient and we're innovative instead of competing how we pull all of our resources together and our gifts and talents and really make something transformational thank you thank you thank you I told you Maha had an inspiring story if you don't believe in the power of people after listening to this episode I don't know what will convince you these are rough times but this is also a tough city and with people like Amaha in the game, I know we can get through this. Be sure to support Gem City Market in any way you can. The What It Happened Was podcast is edited, produced, and written in our home office by me, Amelia Robinson. Tigger, my kitty cat, provided much needed support for this episode. The show's artwork is by my good friend Troy Lyman of TL Creates of Columbus. Until next time, stay dating strong and at least six feet from each other. See you alligators later. Bye-bye.